Welcome to the Wisdom and Wellness Parsha podcast, a weekly Eden Center podcast featuring Rabbanit Shani Tarragon with insights from the Parsha about women's health, relationships, mikveh and well-being. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center that is transforming the mikveh experience by educating women how to use mikveh as the natural platform it is to connect to women's health, well-being and healthy relationships. Read our weekly blogs on a range of fascinating topics, download our wonderful publications, learn about our Balaniyot and Kala teacher trainings, and support us at theedencenter.com. Rabbanit Shani Tarragon has been a leading force in women's Torah learning and in Eden's work, and we are honored to combine two of her passions, Torah education and empowering us about women's health and well-being. Without further ado, Shani. Welcome to Eden's Wisdom and Wellness for Women on the Parsha. This week we're treated to a triple Parsha. By this I mean not only are we going to be concluding Sefer Shmot with the double Parshiot of Vayakel and Pekude, but because it's also Parshat HaChodesh when we bless the upcoming month of Nisan, the month of Gula, we also read from Shmot chapter 12, HaChodesh HaZalachem, Rosh Chodeshim, Rishon HaLochotshei Hashana. And therefore, I hope it's okay if we connect not only Vayakel and Pekude, but also Parshat HaChodesh to issues of wisdom and wellness, and certainly the connection to women, not only with regard to at the upcoming month of Nisan, but certainly with everything going on around us, with the new directives of the health ministries of our respective countries, because of the fears and precautions of the coronavirus, we're going to see how this is all spoken about really in our Parshiot. So let's get started with Parshat Vayakil. The Parsha begins with exactly the same words that we find employed with regard to Am Yisrael sinning in Chaita Igil. There we hear, back in Parsha Kitisa, chapter 32, verse 1, al-Aharon. The people assembled al- on Aharon, commanding of him, Kum Elohim asher for they wanted some intermediary between themselves and God. Moshe Rabbeinu, after hearing the directives of building a proper intermediary, a proper means of vasuli mikdash v'shachanti betocham, in the parshiot of Truma Tetzave Kitisa, now Moshe Rabbeinu employs the exact terminology vayakel Moshe et kol adat b'nei Yisrael. Moshe tells B'nai Israel, we're going to fix this. We are now going to assemble for the proper purpose of constructing a Mishkan for God. So even though we found the debate of the various Parshanim, for example, Rashi, Ramban, with regard to whether or not the Mishkan was meant to be a priori, a maintenance, an ongoing revelation of Har Sinai, from the very time the Nam Yisrael were in the Midbar, both Rashi and Ramban agree that after the sin of the Egel, after Am Yisrael created a rift with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, now we definitely need a means of kapara. We need a means of reestablishing our relationship with Hashem that we had by our Sinai. And therefore, not only Vayakel Moshe, but Moshe Rabbeinu is now going to teach B'nai Yisrael the proper way to develop a relationship with God, both in the realm of time and in the realm of space. And if you remember from last week's parsha, first Moshe Rabbeinu was told about Kedushat HaMakom, teaching B'nai Yisrael about the sanctity of the place of the Mishkan, how the transcendence of God is going to be imminent in this world, followed by Kedushat Hazman, introducing the new aspect of an oath, of a sign, of a brit, of a dynamic relationship through the sanctity of time, of Shabbat. 
Notice, though, that when Moshe teaches B'nai Yisrael, he switches the order. First, he teaches them about the sanctity of time. He teaches them about Shabbat, followed by how to construct the Mishkan, the sanctity of space. Perhaps because B'nai Yisrael are already more familiar with Kedushat HaShabbat, and maybe that's why Moshe proceeds Shabbat to Mishkan, or perhaps because he wants to teach them, Lo tivaru esh Be very careful, not only in the realm of space, but also in the realm of time. Don't use fire, for they just used molten gold to create the eagle that they saw as a means of worshiping God. Moshe Rabbeinu says, stay away from that. God doesn't want that. Not in the realm of a mishkan, and certainly not with regard to Shabbat. Lo tevaru ish. You're gonna, going to need to construct certain metals in the Mishkan with fire, but do not confuse that with Kedusha. Certainly not to use that on Shabbat. But the Chidusha Harim, I think, enhances our appreciation in a beautiful way. He explains that why is it that Moshe Rabbeinu begins particularly with Shabbat? He asks the question, in fact, why does Moshe change the order in the previous parsha, we heard in Kitisa that Hashem taught Malachat Hamishkan before the mitzvah of Shabbat. But here, Moshe teaches Shabbat before the Mishkan. A priori explains the Chidushe Harim. Hashem wanted Am Yisrael to understand that the construction of the Mishkan is a microcosm of the construction of the world, no longer in a cosmic plane, but this time the human initiative of building a mini-world to God. And therefore, the hope was that they would understand that idea of Ma'aseh followed by Shabbat, just like the six days of creation followed by Shabbat. After the sin, however, Moshe Rabbeinu teaches them, he must teach them Shabbat first. Only with an understanding and internalizing of the message of Shabbat can they then appreciate the world of Maaseh. Only through a state of mindfulness, only through a state of lihiyot, can they really understand now Maaseh. He thought that through actions, they would appreciate the rest more. But he saw that, no, they took advantage and they distorted their actions. And therefore, it was imperative that he begin by teaching them the value of a Shabbat, the value of time with a family. Maybe this is one of the messages of what we're going through right now. Maybe we have to all be in the self-quarantine state, in a pseudo-Shabbat state, so that we can reorient our ma'aseh properly. Maybe we've all been getting a little too caught up with the rat race of the world, with uh, the busyness of everyday life. And uh, yes, I'm just as guilty. We're in to now put ourselves in our home with our families. Almost really, one of my children said, it feels like Shabbat every day now. So clearly not exactly, but all those positive aspects of Shabbat to help us appreciate all the more. What a world of ma'aseh, how we can direct our actions a little better. That's why he continues and says, the first time Am Yisrael said, na'aseh v'nishma, we can do this. We will be involved in actions and then also in listening. And this time, we have to hear first, nishma. We have to internalize. We have to think about the different ideas. And only then, na'aseh, to redirect 
our actions. Let's continue with the Parsha. In the same chapter, we hear, Perak Lamidhei, Pasuk Chafhei, that who came and brought all the different nidavot, all the different contributions to the Mishkan. We already heard that there is an obligatory obligation called the Machatit shekel, but also everyone brought a truma, asher yitzven alibo, the voluntary contributions. Sure enough, it was not only the men involved here, but chol isha chokhmat lev. Here we hear about women, wise women, who understood the skill of craft, who participated in the construction and the weaving of the tapestries of the Mishkan. The next verse tells us, verse 26, v'chol hanashim asher liban otana b'chokhmat, the women who were involved with this wisdom of knowing how to weave properly and each and every string and strand of the threads of the izim, according to Chazal, even while they were still on the animals themselves. But we're going to continue a few psukim later, verse 29, something so interesting. The verse tells us, Kol ish isha asher nadav libam otam lavi l'chol hamlacha asher tiva Hashem lasot biad Moshe Every man and woman. And sure enough, in chapter 36, verse 6, we hear, Enough. We have enough contributions. Chazal learned from the fact that the women were mentioned even before, that the women's were, women were the first ones to contribute, that they were the ones most excited and the men followed suit. As opposed to by Chayta Egel, the Midrash tells us that the men went to their wives in order to receive contributions of their jewelry to offer to the Egel in order for the Egel to be constructed. And the women refused. Here the women teach the men how to properly contribute, how to properly direct our materials to the Mishkan. And then we find something also very strange. The next few chapters of Parshat Vayakil teach us what the different contributions were used for. But more or less a general terminology. The various dyes were used for the yiriot, for the curtains, and the stones that were used for the choshen, and the zahav that was used, the gold, for the various golden utensils. And we have in Shmo Paraklamitchet, chapter 38, Ava Parshat Vayakel, towards the end of the Parsha, we hear what the what the copper was used for, the Nechoshet. We already know that the Mizbeach Ha'ula, the primary altar, was constructed from Nechoshet. We hear of all the different parts of this Mizbeach Nechoshet. And then afterwards, in verse 8, Vayasat Akiyor Nechoshet, the copper was also used to create the wash basin that we spoke about last week, Vet Kano, and the base for the wash basin, Nechoshet, Bimarot Hatsovot, Asher Tavu Petachomoed, with the copper mirrors that were collected, that were collected in the courtyard of Ohel Moed. And in fact, Chazal asked, firstly, isn't this redundant? The copper mirrors that were collected, that were in fact collected. If they were collected, then obviously Tzavot, Asher Tzavu. Of course they were collected. But even more, we're a little surprised that here we not only hear the general aspects of the copper contributions, but we hear that the wash basin was created from a particular contribution of mirrors. And Rashi quotes a beautiful midrash on this pasuk. He explains, V'not Yisrael hayu marot. 
Why does the Torah tell us specifically about these mirrors? Because these were special mirrors. Generally, when we think of a mirror, we think of a silver mirror that reflects the light properly. A copper mirror is much blurrier. A copper mirror doesn't really show us a very clear picture, but these were special. These were mirrors that the women had used in order to adorn themselves. And we're going to see that they were used for something else as well. And even though these were very, one can say, poor quality mirrors, Am Yisrael did not hesitate. The women wanted to contribute this also. So Moshe Rabbeinu was very reluctant. Number one, these are poor quality mirrors. Why contribute these? And even more, Moshe didn't want to accept mirrors that were used for all these vain purposes. Hashem says, you must accept them. Because these are more precious to me than anything. Why do we need the extra term of tzvaot, marot tzvaot, that these were the collected mirrors, literally collected like in armies, to teach us that these are the mirrors through which literally the armies of Am Yisrael were formed. Through the devotion of the women to ensure proper shalom bayit, to ensure procreation within their families, that's how, despite the harsh decrees of Paro and Mitzrayim, the women were the ones to maintain survival. And Rashi quotes the famous Midrash that we find in Shemot Rabbah and also in Gemara Sota Dafir Aleph, wherein the women, and also in Shir Hashirim, wherein the women would take these mirrors, particularly when their husbands were very, very tired Bavodat Parech. And that was part of the reason why Paro decreed on such harsh labor laws to ensure that the men would sleep away from their wives in order to maximize their quota. And what would happen? The women were the ones who would schlep all the way to the husbands. And they would take their, their pails of food and beverage. As a matter of fact, other Midrashim teach us they would take warm water together with fish, which symbolize Pirya Virivya would symbolize procreation. But they would also take these marot. They would take their copper mirrors, these very poor quality mirrors. And what would they do? Not only would they use them to adorn themselves, but I love to say that these are the first selfies that we find in Jewish history. Imagine the scene. The woman would take her copper mirror and she would lie next to her husband. And imagine, imagine even the skeletal state that these poor, oppressed Hebrew slaves were in. And the woman would say, don't look at me. Don't look at the way that I am right now. I probably look exhausted. I probably look languished. I probably look completely unattractive. So you know what? Don't look at me. Instead, let's take a selfie together. They would lift up these copper mirrors and they would have their husbands together with them look at reflections of themselves, but blurred reflections. And what would the woman say? Lomar, ani na I am more beautiful. Na Look at me in the mirror. Do you see how beautiful I am in the mirror? In other words, let's go back in time. Do you remember how beautiful I was? And look and see how beautiful I can be. For in fact, as the Shala says, the mirror is a reflection, just like the woman and the moon. 
The woman waxes and wanes. The woman never stays exactly where she is. And therefore, we have an opportunity, an opportunity to always not only adapt to our circumstances and situations, but realize that even though we're stuck in the status quo, we're never really stuck in the present. We look at the past, but we also look at the future. I saw a beautiful, and I'm sure many of you have seen uh, numerous uh, YouTube videos and WhatsApp videos going on of uh, different people singing on their porches while they're in pseudo-quarantine. And one of the ones I saw, they were singing, Don't think of where we are right now this year, each one locked up in their home. Think of where we're going to be next year. And we're going to look back at this year. And we're going to ask ourselves, do we maximize this time? Do we maximize this time with our families? Did we maximize this time thinking of people in our communities? Did we maximize this time, so much time not going into work, maximize this time to learn more Torah, to be inspired, to work on our observance of halacha? Do we maximize this time to think about the importance of tarat to take our, our vitamins properly? Do we maximize this time to be a little more cautious when it comes to, as we discussed last week, hygiene, washing our hands, our mouths, our bodies? Were we careful in our interactions with other people? What we say, what we don't say. The women are able to look at the mirrors. We're not as stable as the sun, but we're like the moon. And therefore, the mirror is the perfect mashal, is the perfect, really, I would say, accompaniment of the woman, not to adorn ourselves, but to be able to see, to see not where we are now, but where we were and where we're going to be. The woman, therefore, told her husbands, imagine what will be. We know that things have to get better than the way they are now, and therefore, we're going to bring children into the world. And I can imagine the men saying, like we know from Gemara Sota, Amram, the Gadol Hador said, and I can't stay married to my wife when I know that our children are going to be thrown into the Nile. And he divorced himself and uh, the other husbands divorced themselves. And it takes Miriam to say, wait, but look, there is an option of survival. You're worse than Paro not only because you're also killing the, the potential females, not only because you're also killing potential olam haba, but who knows? Who knows what the survival rate is going to be? And we have to do our best, which means that we have to bring more children into this world. And therefore, they would take these mirrors. They would allure and appease their husbands. They would conceive, as we find the Midrash in Shir Hashirim, they would literally arouse their husbands under the apple trees. That's where they conceived. That's where they also bore their children. These aren't just mirrors. These are mirrors that represent what wellness is all about. Psychological, emotional health. This is what the women infuse the, their husbands with in Egypt in a time of suffering and oppression and quarantine, they looked towards the future with, uh, with these mirrors, but they didn't do it alone. They looked together with their husbands into these mirrors, and that's what enabled them to go and to continue into the next generation under the apple tree. Sure enough, these are apples that we find very shortly on our Seder plate in the Haroset. And uh, Rav Yazar but Rav Yaakov says, it's a mitzvah, in fact, to retell the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim through Karoset. 
sorry, Rav Elazar bar Rav Tzadok, not bar Rav Yaakov, bar Rav Tzadok says, this is again, what one should do. It is a mitzvah. Why? Rav Levi says, in the memory of the apple tree. Rav Yochanan says, in the memory of the clay that the men used to use to build the pyramids. And Rashi quotes there as well. What apple tree? Yes, the apple trees of the woman. And the question is, what are we going to focus on? During retelling the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, what are we going to focus on every time we're in a state of oppression? Do we focus on the hard work? Do we focus on the clay of the building of the oppression? Or do we focus on the apples, on the apple tree, on the love that still existed, on the optimism of the woman in Mitzrayim, knowing that they can change things for the sake of the future? Parshat Vayakal tells us that these marot sovot are going to be mentioned independently. These are going to be very important copper mirrors that are going to be used for the wash basin, the same wash basin, wherein the Isha Sota, the suspected promiscuous woman, is going to have to drink from to remind her, do you remember the woman who used these copper, used these copper mirrors in order to remain faithful to their husbands? And now the question is going to be whether or not you remain faithful to yours. That's the story, but really the message of the Marot Tzavot in Parshat Vayakil. Let's go on. And obviously this connects then to HaChodesh HaZalachem, Rosh Chodeshim. This is the message of the moon. This is the message of the new month. How are we going to enter the new month? It starts off very small, very little light, but that's exactly what we know. We know, and Chazal tell us, why is it that women are so much more sensitive to uh, not just the waxing and the waning of the moon? Why is it that women are the ones through whom Gu'ula always occurs, whether it's Esther in the story of Purim, Yochav and Miriam, Shifra Pua in the story of Mitzrayim, Bat Paro who saves Moshe Rabbeinu, Yudit in the story of Chanukah. Why is it that women seem to have this copper mirror projection for the future? And Chazal explained because they're because women also carry children and they know that they're not going to stay in their first month of pregnancy nor their third or even their 35th or the 38th or the 40th week forever. They know that they're going to give birth and they know that they can never stay in the status quo state. So with that anticipation of the future, they literally always think about gu'ula and how to precipitate, in fact, redemption. That's such a beautiful message, not only of Parshat Vayakil, but of this month. This month wherein we hear not only of the Gu'ula of the past, Benisan Nigalu, but Chazal teach us, Benisan Atidin Lihigail. This is such a wonderful month of anticipating future redemption. It's also a month we find wherein the Nashim Tzidkaniyot of the past, the righteous women, were the ones to help catalyze the process of redemption. And we can do it again. Let's go on now to Parshat Pekudei, what seems to be really just a very redundant parsha, but I think such an important one in a, on numerous levels. Let's first begin with, if we spoke about what happens in the Nehoshet, how it was used, particularly for all the copper kelim, including the altar, and the wash basin and its base, then what did B'nai Yisrael do with the silver that was collected, particularly the silver that we had mentioned in last week's parsha from the Machatzitz HaShekel? It doesn't seem to be very clear. In chapter 30, there it said that it's going to be used for the avodah, for the needs of the tabernacle. In fact, we find that the commentators offer two explanations with what the phrase refers to. What avodat al moed? Is it the karbanot zibor, the community sacrifices, which means that 
this was a donation that was used for future generations as well, or for the literal construction of the Mishkan, meaning the one-time mitzvah. It seems from the opening Psukim and Parsha Pekudeh that there was indeed a special donation of the Machatzit HaShakel for the specific purpose of building the Mishkan. Where do we see this? If one looks at the various Psukim talking about what was built with the silver, particularly chapter 38, verse 26, there we hear, what was done? Each member of the male population, aged 20 and up, gave half a shekel. And since the total census we're going to see later was 603,550, the amount of silver collected totaled 301,775 shekel. As everyone knows, and or... You can just ask your banker. And uh, Rabbi Leeptek points out this as well, that every 3,000 shekel equals one kikar. So the total amount of silver collected was 100, 100 kikar with the remainder of 1,775 shekel. What did they do with so much silver? It seems, in fact, that what was this used for? This was used for the adanim, as we mentioned last week. The adanim, which are they are literally the bases. They form the base to support the krashim, the beams of the mishkan. The 100 adanim form the base of the walls of the mishkan. And, and that's what was used with uh, all the silver. The leftover 1,775 shekel of silver were used to make some of the hooks, some of the vavim to connect the curtains, the curtains to the poles of the outer courtyard and uh, a silver plating for the heads of those poles. So why is this detail so important? Why do we need to hear about the exact amount of silver and what it was used for and not only in contrast to the vessels of the Mishkan that were donated by the gold and the, and the copper, the sockets that formed the base of the Mishkan remained very unique and special. That was what was particularly made out of silver. Here we find then that Am Yisrael literally build the Mishkan with their donations. They're building the base in the generation of the construction of the Mishkan it was imperative that Am Yisrael feel that they're part of this. Everyone's personal contribution was significant to the greater whole. The contribution of the Kesef reflected the very individual contribution, but at the same time, the unity connecting with the hooks, all the different members of Am Yisrael. In later generations, after the Mishkan is built, the Machatzit HaShakel then will be used to buy the Karbanot Zibor. The Karbanot Zibor not just Gena, the Karbanot Tamid, and also the Musafim that were offered daily on the Mizbeach. But in addition, Gena, the Karbanot Tzibur, each individual was permitted to offer also a Karban But first we have to stand as a Tzibur, as a collective group. But even as a collective group, we each contributed to each socket of the Mishkan. And how much more so can we appreciate this today? Each one of us contributing in our own way. We definitely see the effects that one cough can have on people, definitely. And at the effects then that one smile has on a person. We each have to take care of what goes on within our own home, but recognizing that, of course, it's going to have an effect on the greater, the greater effects of Am Yisrael. Parsha Pekudeh then, being no less of a parsha, teaching us about wellness within the Jewish community and within the home. Taking care of ourselves, each socket, but every socket holds its beam, and every beam is going to be part of the collective structure of the Mishkan. I'd like to end with uh, 
one last, one last idea of Parshat Pekudei, and that is that if you take a look at the Parsha, each time we find that Am Yisrael, in fact, are going to listen to Moshe as they undergo the construction of the Mishkan, leading not only to the end of Sefer Shemot, but as we mentioned in Parshat Terumah, Perak Mem, the last few psukim, teach us, we're going to go back to Har Sinai. We go back to creating the exact same scene of a cloud of glory upon the mountain, upon the Mishkan. Just like Moshe couldn't go up to the summit of the mountain, he also can't enter the Mishkan until God calls him. We hear of the beautiful scene that the Ramban explains is really just reliving Ma'amad Harsinai. But how do we get there? No less than 16 times in Parshat Pekude, we hear the phrase, Kasher Tiva Hashem et Moshe. Kasher Tiva Hashem et Moshe. Exactly as Hashem commanded Moshe. I can imagine how difficult this was for Am Yisrael. When uh, Moshe Rabbeinu said, okay, this is what we're going to use the gold for. This is how we're going to fashion. This is how we're going to fashion the kapor, the kruvim. We're going to gold plate this vessel, but we're not going to gold plate that vessel. We're going to make sure that the the badim are going to, uh, the poles are going to be placed on these kelim in this particular manner. We're going to put them on this distance, I'm sure. That everyone had what to say, especially when it came to their own socket. I would have loved to decorate my own socket with my own little insignia so that everyone would know my decoration. And yet they did exactly as Moshe told them. In order to create that healthy world, in order to create that Mishkan, it was imperative that this time they didn't do things their own way, but they listened to their directives. I know that this is a very difficult time a difficult time to listen to what the health ministry says. Our governments are telling us all the different rules, and it seems that every day there are new restrictions and strictures and laws and regulations in order to take care of ourselves. But that's exactly it. These are the fine, fine details of halacha, the fine tunings that teach us how to live from the moment that we wake up in the morning till we go to sleep at night. This is halacha, this is halicha. And this is also briut. This is also wellness. We listen to what we're told because this is the only way that we can maintain not only a strong mishkan, not only a strong body, but also a strong society. I'd like to end with what I'm sure you've all been seeing as well. Back to the beginning of Parshat Vayakil, the importance of the mitzvah of Shabbat to take advantage of this time of lihiyot, of being, of being mindful, being cautious and careful. And in fact, this is the first time ever that all of Medinat Yisrael, all of Am Yisrael, and perhaps even all of the world will be able to appreciate a Shabbat, not being engaged in transportation, not being engaged in Malacha, but having an opportunity, particularly in this week's Parsha, where we learn about the significance of lotivaru ish. We learn about the significance of resting from any creative activity on Shabbat. We learn about the significance kasher tziva Hashem et Moshe. Kain asu. That this is what will help us not only maintain, but basically recreate our healthy world. Shabbat shalom, chodesh tov, and hope that everyone stays very mindful and healthy. 
This week's podcast is sponsored in honour of Hadassah Esther Leah Piepsch, in honour of her 18th birthday by her beloved grandparents. Is there someone in your life that you want to honour? Someone who has helped you out or inspired you? Maybe it's a medical professional or a teacher or a yoetzet who went above and beyond to help you, or a yard site or death that you want to mark. Please consider making a donation to support this podcast in honour of a special person in your life. This episode of Wisdom and Wellness was recorded by Shani Tarragon, music courtesy of Shimona Gottlieb, and is a product of the Eden Centre. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe. We welcome your feedback, sponsorships, and support. You can reach us at www.theedencentre.com.